0: My name is Jim Hammond. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm really glad that you are here today. I hope you will be really glad that you're here today, too. Even more glad after we're done, and we feel like, oh, wow, I'm so glad I came. That's my hope and prayer. We are in the last portion of a four-part series called When I Need a Miracle. So this is part four. This is the last one. If this is your first time with us, don't worry. You're not coming in at the end of the movie and you missed everything. Um, It'll be a standalone. And uh, if this was an encouragement to you and you want to see some of the others, those are available online as well. We have been looking at this series uh, about when I need a miracle in a way that maybe you've noticed if you've been with us each week, we are highlighting some tensions and perhaps looking at some uh, ways in which God addresses us, and it's different than we thought. And sometimes our expectations of how God is going to provide a miracle is a little bit different than the things that he says to us. And so... Uh, maybe you'll notice that again on this topic. So today is when I need a miracle of provision. When I need a miracle. Oh, that's the uh, wrong way. Slide. When I need a miracle of provision. Gonna get that fixed back there? All right. Um, <clears throat> on this particular topic, um, we. Are going to jump right into the text. No story, no upfront stuff. We got a lot of scriptures to cover, but we're going to jump into a text that typically is the kind of one that we want to grab the yellow highlighter. We're going to highlight this one because we go, I like this one. And it comes from Philippians chapter four. And here's what Paul says in that passage And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Now, even though we're all reading the same words, often we have different reactions, different filters, different interpretations of what that means. And so some of us might be going through a lot of stuff and we highlight it with yellow because we really need his riches right now. We're really struggling and we need provision, but we might miss something uh, because of our way of reading it. For example, maybe because you're struggling so much, you miss the fact that when Paul pens this, he's actually chained up. And he's not sure whether he's going to live or die, but he really believes that God is already giving him every riches that he needs to live this thing in glory. And God is providing for him right then and there and now, even while he's in a situation that's far worse than the one that you might be in right now. And so we sometimes filter the words and think it means something different than it does. So, um, here's a quote I want to begin with. It's kind of some words that I've put together for us to think through. When you think God's not coming through for me, He's not coming through for my house payments or my car payments or for my vacation, I'm still paying off Christmas of 2014. Is it possible that God met your needs, but you spent it on your wants? Ooh, we have that mmm, like the sucker punch, you know? It's like, ooh, ooh. Now, I'm not trying to be heavy-handed here, where if that's you, it's like, ouch, oh. The reality is, I just want us to highlight a difference here between our wants and needs and how we kind of filter through God's promises and promises about meeting our needs and what that looks like, and we might think it is different than what he actually says. So, I don't normally fill in Blanks on a focus, but here's our focus for today, and there are two blanks to fill in. If you are a note taker, pull out your outline, fill these blanks in. If you don't like to take notes, just put it in indelibly, fill in the blank there, and you got it. All right, here we go. In every story of need, expect God's story of provision. In every story of need. Now, we already spent some time talking about the difference between need and want. In every story of need, expect God's story of provision. Now, before we proceed further, I just wanna let you know that all across the nation, even among churches that are um, following Jesus Christ, there's a lot of different interpretations on how to uh, think through the provision that God provides and how, what do we do to be in the place to receive God's blessing and God's provision. And so there's actual pretty stiff controversies and we're going to kind of, I'm not going to go heavy-handed, but I'm going to kind of highlight some of those differences. It might be different than you expect as we proceed forward. Here's how I'd like to begin. Point number one. Where God guides, God provides. Where God guides, God provides. Now, I like that for a couple of reasons. One is, it rhymes. <laughs> and because it rhymes, it's sort of a handle that we can hang on to, and it's like, yeah, that resonates with me, you know, just because it rhymes doesn't mean, yeah, it resonates. But where God guides, now if he is guiding you into this thing and you feel like you don't have what it takes, just remember, no, he will provide, if he's guiding you and this is his thing, he's going to provide you. So that's, that's a completely different way of thinking than a lot of people think in terms of God's promises about his provision. So already we're... Um, seeing some things that are interesting. Now, earlier we looked at Paul's words, glowing words. We highlight it in yellow because it's comforting. Yes, he's going to meet our needs. Here's another one that's like that from Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 58, verse 11, we read, the Lord will guide you always. Where God guides, he will provide. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. Isaiah is a prophet, he's writing at a time when the nation is a little bit on the skids and he's trying to bring them back, and because of that, some of the things that God has foretold has taken place, there's famine, and then there's a sun-scorched land, and he's saying, listen, where I'm guiding you, I will satisfy your needs. Now even if others that are not following my guidance are having a hard time with their needs, you're following my guidance, I will provide for you. I love that verse. I like that verse. But what I'm gonna do is come back to this verse later in the message and hear the backstory leading up to the climax of that verse. Before we do that, we're gonna jump into a couple of other stories. And the next story I want to jump into is found in Kings. First Kings chapter 17. If you're taking notes, that might be the one right down because Uh, On the flip side of the notes outline, there's a study that goes with it. Some of the other passages will actually be listed, but this one is not listed. You might jot this down. Great story. One of my favorites. This takes place 875 B.C. You know what? Before we go to 875, let's don't dig so deep. Let's go to Jesus. You can just black that out for right now, if you know how. Or just leave it up there for everybody to look ahead. Thank you. Hey, good job. Let's start with Jesus before 875. So let's just go to Jesus. Where God guides, God provides. Jesus, you recall us when the 12, original 12 are following him and thousands and thousands are gathered all around Jesus. One time they're gathered around Jesus, listening tight to every word, watching as every move and they've skipped some meals and Jesus says to the 12, feed them. And they go horrified, What? There are thousands here. There must be 5,000 men alone. So it's like 15,000. I count heads of households, you know. There's like thousands. How are we going to feed them? He says, what do you have? Five measly loaves and two stinking fish. That's not exactly what they said. This is my summarized version. Okay. And so they have just five loaves, two fish, and then Jesus says, well, give them to me. Now, this is really cool stuff. So, okay, Five loaves, two fish. They start, now bring the baskets. Jesus starts breaking them, breaking them, breaking them, filling the baskets, filling the baskets. The disciples take full baskets from the five loaves and two fish and they start distributing them to the 15,000 people. And then it says, after everybody has eaten their fill, do you remember how the story ends? After everybody has eaten their fill, what does Jesus have them do? Collect the leftovers. So they all get 12. Why 12. Every disciple gets a doggy basket, (laughs) right? Now, why would this detail be listed here? They're thinking there's no possible way to feed everybody. They're focused on their lack, right? They're focused on their lack, where Jesus is saying, no, focus on my kingdom. I just told you, feed them. And he wants an indelible memory to be placed upon them. Now, give me what you have, now, Jesus multiplies what they have because where he guides, he provides. And to make this a lasting memory, every single one has a basket that's way bigger than they started with, and that's the leftovers. So that's a, that's a memory thing that Jesus does. You bet they remember that forever. Where God guides, he supplies. Now let's jump back 875 years into the Old Testament where this is Elijah, the prophet, the prophet. He's confronted King Ahab, who is an aberrant king. He's not following the ways of God. And he says, it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. I'm going to pray that it stops raining. And a drought starts. And then we read this. Sometime later, the brook dried up. Well, this is a lot of time later. Elijah hides. He has ravens that are miraculously providing food for him. When the drought finally catches up to the point where the brook that he's by and drinking from dries up. So it's been quite a long time that God is providing all along miraculously for Elijah. Now it's time to move. Then the word of the Lord came to him where God guides. So this is the word of the Lord guiding Elijah next. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon. What you may or may not know is that this is no longer Israel's territory. These are You know, people who are not following the God of Israel, Sidon and Zarephath, go there. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. Next slide. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So Elijah receives guidance, but the story is fascinating. Now, I keep saying story. I want to make sure you understand what I mean by story. I don't mean fairy tale. I don't mean legend. I don't mean... Uh, this is all make believe, and it's a great moral the story kind of story. I believe this is history, and I believe this really happened. Now, you're free to believe whatever you want, but this is what I think really happened. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. Then she says, now remember, she doesn't even follow the Lord, his God. She says, as surely as the Lord, your God lives. So she can tell just by looking at him, he's from Israel. As surely as the Lord, your God lives, she replied. Next slide. I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. That's pretty desperate. This famine, this drought, this lack inside, and is so bad, she's exhausted every resource to borrow from, every resource and relative. They're struggling too. She just has a little flour and a little oil left. You want bread? I don't have any. I was just gonna go make my last loaf, eat it with my son, and die. Then, here's what Elijah says, because Elijah remembers, I've, There's a widow there that's going to provide. Elijah said to her, don't don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first. Now here's, you know, earlier we had these real rosy verses that we like to highlight. This is one of those verses I would highlight. But first, and it's not real rosy. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me. from, From what you have and bring it to me. The audacity. She just said I only have a little bit, just enough for one loaf to eat with my son and die. And he says, it's okay, it's okay, just make me a loaf first. It's like, but remember, Elijah's not being selfish here. Elijah's following God's lead, God's word, and this is what he says, and he's giving instructions. He's saying, here's what you do first, because he's not done talking. And then he keeps saying, next slide. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. Now, time out here. She's never heard the story of Jesus. Jesus hasn't come and multiplied out food. She's never heard the story of God's provision miraculously in other places. She's just like got this weird guy that has a God in this other land and he's saying, make him bread first and then God will take care of you. If you were her, what would you do? All right? My, if you think about it logically, it's like, if I'm her, okay. All right, I'll try it. What, I'll die 10 minutes earlier? Might as well try it, because he's promising that the possibility is there if I feed him first, that his God will provide miraculously. What do I have to lose? 10 minutes? Let's give it a go. And so, here's what we read. She went away and did as Elijah had told her, so there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family, for the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Okay, there's no explanation for this, but weird, miracle, God does what he said he's going to do. He's guiding Elijah. He's just providing miraculous. Do you think that her faith antenna goes, whoa, this God of his is real? And every time she pours, it's like, how does that happen? Every time she makes the bread, it's like, where is this coming from? Every day until Elijah calls an end to the drought. Pretty cool stuff. I want us to follow up that story with just a couple of statements. Here we go. This is for me. When I pursue God's will, God provides everything I need to accomplish His will. When I pursue my will without seeking God's will, I tend to outspend God's provision and create some problems. I don't know if that's your experience or not, but do you see the two phrases that I'm putting in in? in juxtaposition here my will and god's will we see this in jesus's ministry frequently not my will be done but your will be done he teaches us to pray uh, your kingdom come your will be done on earth we have a tendency to live for my will my kingdom okay and this widow she's focused on her lack totally poverty-stricken, totally focused on I'm so poor, this is all I have left, and you're asking me to give it away to you, right? But something he says gives her hope, where it's like now, it's like, what? I'm not focused on my lack, there's actually hope. There's another way. But first, take care of you, and you're gonna take care of me? (gasps) So, my will versus God's will. If you're following God's will, chances are better for you than if you're all about your will. Here's why I say this. Again, across the nation, there are many people who are trying to follow Jesus Christ that take these promises of God and they filter them through this thing where as long as I'm doing this, as long as I'm doing that, God has to provide for me. But their focus is on their will, their kingdom. This is where I want us to get back to Isaiah. We started with this verse, Isaiah 58, verse 11. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. We like that one, okay? Here's the backstory. We're going to back it up and start at the beginning of the chapter and see where the buildup leads to this and what God actually said. So we're starting at verse 1. Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud. Don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. This is God's instructions to Isaiah Sometimes I'm glad I'm not a prophet. Tell them of their sins, yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We've been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice it. I will tell you why, I responded. Now, let's stop right there. Um, first of all, our, our nation and even the followers of Christ were not real hmm, practiced in the art of fasting. <laughs> Unless you call breakfast the, you know, I fasted all night, so I broke my fast, Breakfast. So, I mean, yeah, every time I eat breakfast, I break my one-night fast. I mean, if that's a fast, right, that's where we get the word breakfast from. That's not really fasting. See, fasting is a practice of saying no to yourself, to train yourself to be able to say no, to deny yourself enough to be able to say yes to God more. And it's a temporary practice. You can't fast indefinitely. You just, for a period of time, you're, you're in training. I want, to, I want to train my spirit, my soul, my, my me that isn't my body crying out, feed me, feed me, say no to my body, say yes to you. I just want to be good at saying no to appetites and desires sometimes because not every appetite, not every desire should be say yes to because I'm in trouble because I'll be saying no to you. Okay. I need to train myself, fasting. However, this kind of training that they're involved in they weren't utilizing it for kingdom purposes, for God honoring purposes. Here's how they used it they did religious practices to twist the arm of God. Hey, listen, we fasted. We've been putting on sackcloths and ashes, and how come you're not providing for us? Now, substitute any religious word in there. And all across America, you got the idea that okay, okay, take the word fast out, put the word tithe in. I've been tithing, I've been going to church. I've been reading my Bible. I've been praying. I've been doing this and doing that. How come I'm in this mess? And we are using these different religious practices as leverage for my kingdom instead of his kingdom. Be careful here. There's actual teaching out there that gets you to be thinking about if you want to grow wealth and if you want to grow your kingdom, you do this and this and this and this this is how it all comes in and blah, 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 blah. But there's a twistedness about it that's very similar to the twistedness here about these religious practices. All right, so let's move the slide to the next one. Continue to read, build up to the climax in verse 11. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves That's the opposite of what fasting is supposed to be about. It's because you're tithing to make yourself wealthy. It's because you're reading just for you. It has nothing to do with the kingdom and bigger things. Maybe it's bigger than you is what God is trying to say here. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting? Next slide, please. When you keep on fighting and quarreling, this kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Now watch this. It's a true self-denial that has nothing to do with religious practice. Watch this. This is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. And give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from the relatives who need your help. I don't know why I get this image, I get this image of seeing a relative, Aunt Matilda, hypothetical, (laughs) in Walmart, (gasps) and I go the other way. It's like, don't hide yourself, just because she always asks you for help. Be the kind of person that's good from the inside, that's bringing help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward, and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer, Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply, Remove the heavy yoke of oppression, stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors, feed the hungry, help those in trouble. Then your light... Will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry, restoring your strength. You will be like a well watered garden, like an ever flowing spring. So, all of that is a large way of saying the same thing Jesus said that maybe you're more familiar with. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, here's what Jesus said. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, let me just remind you the the context. If you back up in that chapter, he's saying, you worry about so much. You're struggling to make sure you have clothing to wear and food to eat and shelter, and you're worried about it. Stop, stop. Instead of living for your kingdom and focusing on your lack in your kingdom, stop, focus first. Does that sound familiar? Focus first on my kingdom. Then all these things will be given to you as well. That's where that works. Not... Focus on your kingdom, your kingdom. Your kingdom should be blessed if you do this religious thing and this religious thing and this religious thing. Jesus says, no, 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 that's upside down. Stop. I will provide, I will guide. Focus on my will, and I'll provide for you. Here's another way to put it. One of the best ways we acknowledge the Lord is our provider is by worshiping him every time he supplies and provides. Okay, I've read that for you. Would you just say that out loud with me? Let's read it together. Ready? One of the best ways we acknowledge the Lord is our provider is by worshiping him every time he supplies and provides. What that breaks in you is this mentality that this is my kingdom. I've been building it. I've been doing it. I'm the provider. It's me. No, no, no. God is the source. God is the provider. Worship him every time and first, not afterwards and later. Now, Chris Beale is a preacher, and I listened to his whole message uh, that I enjoyed, and I'm just giving you a little tiny clip that I think will give us something to go on as it relates to this. Chris
1: Beale. There is very few things that, that declare in your own life that God is your provider, like honoring him with the tithe. What is it? It's the first tenth of our income. It's not 10% of your income. It's the first 10% of your income, because God always has to be first, When I was young in my faith, um, brand new Christian, this was very, very hard for me, because growing up, um, we didn't have much. We had multiple Christmases and birthdays where we got nothing, most where we didn't get what we wanted, and I just had baggage in my head so that I just knew, if God ever blessed me, if I ever got a raise at my job, I just got to hold on to it, and I had hit a wall in my faith journey, a wall, and Cindy and I had a mentor in our lives that said, this is your next step, and... God wants to show off in your life, but you have to trust him first. And he said this, when you make the decision to tithe, I want you to go and buy a book. Like we, we didn't have Amazon back then, so we physically, I think you went to like Hallmark, Hallmark. And she bought this real chick journal with flowers on it. I wasn't very appreciative of that. And then she wrote on the cover, God's provision book, Beale Family, 1993. And we started to tithe. And then within a week, the first story of God's faithfulness went in that book. Another month, another story, and another story. A couple years go by, the book is full. And years later, I'm sitting with my oldest son who plays in the band. He's 6'4 now. He's much smaller back then. I could take him in wrestling back then. I can't now. He's sitting on my lap. I think he was about seven years old. And we were reading through the stories together. And he was starting to recognize, I live in a miraculous family. And my family serves a miraculous God. And the most personal stories in that book had nothing to do with God blessing us financially. It was all about what he was doing in our hearts as we were putting him first. Church, I'm telling you, for some of you, this is a brick wall you're hitting up against until you learn to fully trust him. I, um, yeah, we can celebrate that. That's, it's good news.
0: So if the only thing you do is to go out and get a flowery book, I mean that might be a good thing to do. Uh, Forget the flowers. It might be good to document when you're seeking first his kingdom with the first every time worshiping with every provision. Just see what happens. Just to motivate you further on that, point number two. You are invited to be part of God's miraculous provision. We've been focusing on when God guides he provides. Now, this is going a step further. It's not just about providing for me and my kingdom, it's beyond you. Now, he's inviting you to become part of a miraculous provision. Here's Paul's words in 2 Corinthians, verse 10 and 11, chapter 9. 2 Corinthians 9, 10 and 11. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower, you've got to think like a farmer here, he who supplies seed to the sower. Now, if you're a farmer, where does seed come from? The stuff that you grew. You hold back part of the seed, okay? Don't eat it all or sell it all. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your... Now, we're stopping right here, of your what? If you were to finish this sentence, you'd never seen it before, maybe you're trying to rack your brain, I have read this, I have read this, what is it, what is it, what is it? Of your what? He will enlarge the harvest of your wealth, enlarge the harvest of your what? So just to speed this up, let's go to the next slide. He will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. He's more interested in what's inside of you that you are actually becoming more good. And with that, More generous, and with that, an open channel to be a help to others. You're invited to be an open channel to help others with your seed. Then he, Paul, gets into this sentence. It's a super sentence filled with superlatives. It's like, watch this. You will be enriched in every way. Whoa, so that you can be generous on every occasion. But we need to make sure that we hold that in context of what he's just been talking about. You're invited to open your heart and be generous to others, and if you will, it's about how I have guided you in my kingdom to become a blessing to others. It's not just about your kingdom. And when you start living this way, I'd be happy to supply more because you are now a channel of blessing. So I want to bless you more to be a blessing so that my name is honored, he says. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. It's like, wow, could he have packed together a more encouraging sentence? You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. It's like, uh, I'd like to sign up for that. Would you? So that's the challenge for us. Now, if you'd be willing to see if this works this way where it's like, i want to follow God, I'm gonna trust God, I'm gonna give you first and let you provide for the kingdom, I've written out a prayer. I want us to pray it. But I often get this feedback. You you, you have us processing so much of this prayer. I can't really pray it out loud. At first, it's your words I need to process. We're going to try to get this online for you so you can process later and pray it out loud later if you'd like to. But if you're willing, let's stand together. If you're willing to pray this prayer, we have a prayer that will help us kind of put all this together. Let's, for those of you who would like to, Just read along with me out loud. If not, and you want to just process later, you can. Dear God, you supply me with everything I need. In fact, you supply me with more than I need. You supply seed for me to be a sower. You say that when I sow with generosity, I can experience an increase for more seed to sow. You give me provisions I can invest for kingdom purposes for your glory and honor for an increased harvest of righteousness. You promise that I will be enriched in every way so that I can be generous on every occasion. That's an amazing promise. You are so generous to me. Forgive me for acting like I'm a poor person who must be tight-fisted and cannot be generous. Open my heart, open my ears, open my eyes. Open my hands to be more generous with your blessings. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now let me just say, I know that there are people in here that say, there it was, there was the money talk. And I just want to say, I'm really not giving you a money talk. That's not my motivation here. I know that money is involved in generosity, but so is our time, so is our talent, so is our willingness to get involved in somebody else's life, in a relationship. All of that is an open-heartedness in kingdom. Really what I'm about is to try to say, what if, what if every single one of us began to say it? you know, this is bigger than me. It's not about my kingdom and my will. God, you have a purpose for me. You're guiding me. You want to make a difference through me. And we have our eyes open, our hands open. We start meeting a need here and meeting a need there and and loving somebody here and starting a relationship here and there. You know what would happen in the Verde Valley if all of us became a channel of the kingdom? It's like... All the pockets of darkness would like to begin to diminish as the light of the kingdom is shining through each one of us and blessing other people's lives. Here's another thing I just want to tell you. In March, we stopped passing offering trays. And so, this is a great time for me to bring this kind of talk because it has nothing to do with that. We stopped passing offering trays, we don't talk about offering hardly at all. Our income has gone up. We're not in a place where we need to be beggars. Where God guides, God provides. And we have been seeing God's kingdom blessing rising. We are inviting everybody to be a part of that. Wouldn't it be cool if everybody starts asking questions? What's going on in the Verde Valley? Stories starting to take place every which way. We are invited to be a part of that movement where all churches are blessed, where all people start to go, what it, tell me more about Jesus. I want in on this. That's my heart for this message. And I want you to be on board with that. If you are in a place where you're stressing, you need provision, I just encourage you to take advantage of the prayer team. Have people pray for you. Receive a blessing. Just ask God to join in. Take this. Walk with it how you'd like to. Hope your day is great. Next week, we're going to have a two-parter that's starting. And I'd love to tell you the title, but I don't know the title yet. But it is going to be about how you can thrive in your faith if you're involved in a community of people trying to thrive in faith, okay? That's what it's about. We'll come up with a title and share with you next couple of weeks. Hope to see you then. God bless you. Have a
1: wonderful day.